Welcome to The Frontline, the sales and marketing podcast. I have with me Jeremy Pierce and Floris Block. Today we're just going to go through a bit of a, an introduction and basically frame what we'll cover in this, this podcast series and just to demonstrate how some of our experiences um, can help us to help you, our listeners, to better yourselves and your businesses. So Jeremy Pierce, sales trainer and coach, customer relationship experience, oh, sorry, Floris Block, customer experience, marketing strategy and digital transformation. Uh, and myself, CRM and marketing automation. So, Jeremy, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, and why you're interested in doing a podcast. Well, thank you, Avon. Um, well, essentially, I I'll start from where I, where it all sort of began. I was interested in business as you know a very young kid, right? I played a lot of video games, and in those games, they had it was a tycoon game, so you've got you know transport game, transport tycoon. You've got Sim Tower, Sim City. I was very interested in those sorts of games, right? And those games really started it for me. Um, I just really loved managing businesses. Um, I, the the game businesses, obviously, I wasn't managing managing businesses as a five year old kid. <laughs> so um, I I finished high school and I didn't really know what to do, uh, whether to go to uni or not. Um, I did land a business degree at UQ. I thought, you know, what better way to understand business and management than doing a business degree? Uh, The second choice you had was a major at uni. I wasn't really shown how or what to choose. I thought, well, which of these majors in business are gonna be the most appropriate for me? And I chose accounting. I thought that would have, would have the best fundamentals when it comes to running and managing a business. You marketing guys might have a different <laughs> perception on it, but I finished that and then I got into accounting. I was running profit and loss statements for businesses, running the back end of a business where I sit for eight hours a day typing on an Excel spreadsheet every single day for eight hours straight and I, I, I grasped a really good fundamental understanding of how big corporations work, the numbers, the back end of a business, but I felt like there was something missing. I wanted to be more of the face of a business and be more at the front end or the front line really of the business because that's where I feel all the magic happens and not after, I feel it's all at the front of the business where you, mm-hmm control what happens and the next you know you grow the business that's where it all starts so i was dipping my toes in lots of different things like hospitality and i found myself in an entry-level sales position Uh, in that position i then slowly but surely learned as much as i could about sales they have a really good uh, at telstra telstra is one of the uh a big telecommunications uh, business here in Australia and they have a really really deep training session and uh, it's like a two-week intensive training session uh, and you go through an academy and you you graduate essentially and you learn all the fundamentals of sales and through that I then learned about business sales um, and really that's 
where my my desire to be in the sales industry and to learn more and more and more and get better and better and better at what I was doing and then once you do succeed in the in sales is, is the next step is to sort of train it because you, you don't understand anything fully unless you're teaching it um, do you guys agree yeah absolutely um, and I also had a bit of a question around how important to you has it been to find a niche in particular in the sales industry interesting question I think there are there's this you can have a sales role in any industry so niches are a little bit hard to actually pinpoint and and say I want to be a sale I want, I want to be a sales trainer or coach in a specific niche such as solar or tel- yeah pharmaceuticals yeah so you can narrow you can get pretty narrow in that respects uh, like I know a lot of uh, solar trainers solar sales trainers but for myself, it's primarily sales is the industry for me. So when it comes to any putting it down to a narrow, narrow, narrow down to another industry, I think the industry itself is sales. But I think that uh, so you don't really need to have an industry niche, that sort of industry niche. Yeah, well, I think sales is universally uh, to do with human behaviour rather than a particular item that you're selling. But I. I... For me, I think that there's a lot of specifics that you can learn and understand about the way people buy property as to the way that people buy uh, a car or they buy insurance. Back on to, I guess, where we were, t- what we were talking about before and where, where I was heading with uh, this in the sales industry. So I moved into, once I figured out that selling for an, another organization led to their growth there was there was only a really simple uh it was a light bulb moment in my head if i can make other businesses money on the front line of this business why can't i make money for myself in the exact same way Hmm. and that's when i stepped out of working for other people and broke into working for myself and that's where I, every day now, I, I, I love getting up. I, I don't feel like it's a nine to five job. I feel like it's a get up, you do whatever you want to do in, that, in, 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 that, in your job, in your position, because you're working for yourself. And I work best on a survival, in a survival type um, situation. Hmm. So if I've got to fend for myself and, and earn money to survive myself, I have a bigger drive. For some reason, maybe it's it, it could be a negative for some other people, but for myself, it's definitely that drive um, to 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 want to earn more. And then once you ha- hit hit a certain amount, then the next there's a next step, and there's a next step, and there's a next goal after that. So sales is pretty uh, uh, difficult for some people, and they're definitely very valuable in having some kind of training. And I think that. We, we sort of came together because it really helped each uh, each other, like we'd, we'd come at it from a different angle. And no one thing can solve uh, all problems. There's no magic bullet in business. There's no magic bullet in uh, marketing or, or, or sales or, or, or any of that. So I guess maybe time to hear from a, a different side of the coin and that's more the customer experience side. So um, Forrest, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, yourself, your history and, uh, and how you think you help. Well, strap yourselves in. <laughs> right. Who's got the next 30 minutes free? I'm kidding. Um, so uh, thank you for the introduction. And, and I absolutely agree with you, Jeremy, on, on a point that you mentioned, which is 
necessity creates innovation mm. uh, or in this case uh, drive or motivation or whatever absolutely um, and I too uh, if I'm under pressure I will deliver more mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily always better but the 80-20 <laughs> rule does apply here in any case um, so my history or my background um, I started off my career in product management and many of the product managers out there will 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 basically um, uh, or what I'm about to say will resonate with them which is you never really start aiming to be a product manager you kind of sort of like stumble uh, into it and and to be very honest that used to be the case and it's not so anymore people now uh, especially when it comes to software and designing new platforms etc that people actually want to be product owners because they own the vision of that product but previously when I started my career no one really knew what a product manager did so people just exactly you kind of just uh, fell into it and, and that's where I started so I started working for Canon back in Amsterdam and I was responsible for a couple of product categories on a Europe Middle East and Africa basis so I had right away at a very young age an extremely large and broad oh, hi, Eddie, uh, broad um, coverage and, and exposure to all kinds of things one from a cultural point of view how to work with different people two from um, how do you actually work in a the buzzword of the 90s and noughties which is in the matrix organization <laughs> um, and and how do you basically then also work from a, a product category point of view to sort of like from the bottom up but also top down because all budgets are top down unfortunately but from the bottom up how do you consolidate and reconcile what the countries want to sell in their uh, local markets versus for example what HQ wants us in the regional HQ to actually sell and push so that that balance or seven years at Canon was uh, extremely helpful in understanding that balance and of course being mentored by an extremely extremely good boss at the time uh, did help quite a lot kind of stayed into it for a good let's see seven years at Canon two years at Nikon then a year at Targus and then almost three years at Samsung yes uh Canon, much like, is a obviously a uh, camera company, right? Yeah. And so we all know the Kodak story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was happening at Kodak, was that resonating at <laughs> Canon as well, at all, while you were in, as in, in that product manager role? Well, funny you mentioned that because this, the same question applies also to uh, Nikon. Um, and then in both cases, I didn't actually work for the camera division, which was, as you just rightfully mentioned, the, the biggest division, right? Or at least from the Canon kind of consumer side, there's the corporate enterprise side, which format printer and printers and, and, and. anyway. Um, I had a feeling there was a bit of a sense of denial. Um, DSLRs were doing well, but we kind of knew a little bit that uh, smartphones and the advent of the iPhone, etc., were gonna actually hit the uh, consumer sales of small compact cameras. So when I was still at Canon and the iPhone was launched in what 2007, I, um, I left uh, Samsung about sorry um, Canon 06 or 07. So it hadn't really hit then, but there were still you know the N97 Mini was out from Nokia and you had other Nokia the 9000 communicator and they all had a camera and everybody started feeling sort of like a little bit of pressure but like no 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 because you know 
the resolution and the picture quality on uh, on a picture taken on a phone is uh, pardon my French shit. Um, but uh, our cameras, you know, 12 megapixels and whatever. It's like yeah, but you know, your our cameras at Canon or at Nikon etc. They started off being terrible and they evolved into good cameras. And the same thing is going to happen with with the smartphones. So at the beginning there was a bit of a sense of yeah, it's not going to happen. We're safe, you know. A Nokia moment, not just Kodak, but Nokia as well. We've got market share. We've got we're number one. We're dominant. We're, we'll be fine. Nokia is now past how many hands, and and Kodak is almost no longer there. Now they're focusing on so many other things other than than uh, picture. In any case, there was that element, and so it got a little bit frantic when it started really hitting. Uh, when the iPhone, uh, the first iPhone came out, and it actually made a dent, and you could see it on the GFK figures. Uh, compact cameras took a dip. Straight away there was panic, and the whole industry now is still reeling from it. If you look at the numbers now, they're about yay big. Compact cameras, even if you walk into a store, they've all been replaced, or most of them have been replaced by DSLR, because you've got the semi-amateurs and the semi-professionals and the professionals that would still rather have um, a DSLR camera. But then you know that was the SLR and now it's mirrorless and there's always going to be something so but yes uh, Kodak moment funny um, so yeah I, I stayed in in product management and product marketing if you wish uh, for I think a good 16 years or so um, until I kind of rebranded myself uh, as a digital transformation expert with a focus on IOT or Internet of Things um, and, and I think the element behind any of these is as a person, as a personality, I like to explain things and I like to convince people of the benefits of certain things, uh, whether it's how to be more efficient, how to be, uh, like now with my kids, you know, how to be nicer, uh, something I had to learn the hard way myself. But I, I like to explain things and I like to promote benefits. And so what better way to do that than to do it through marketing? And in, in a digital transformation sense, when you look at an organization and you're looking at, for example, what people are doing and how they're doing it, you know, the word digital transformation or the expression is a bit of a buzzword though. In, in my mind, it's more of an intelligence transformation. It's, it's more of a, a change of ways of working. Um, so we've got a, a CRM expert here and I'm sure he's going to have lots to say about this, but the second you put in, in, in a CRM into an organization that didn't have one before, the whole way of working, the whole way of interacting with the customer, the whole way of, of actually dealing and communicating and all that, all of that changes. And the, the biggest thing that uh, most people don't realize about digital transformation is that there's a first aspect that always, always gets overlooked at the expense of, you know, uh, risk, revenue and return and cost and all of this is the element of change on the people. People always get thought of last, which is unfortunate. Digital transformation or any transformation starts with people because as I just said it's about ways of working and if you're not changing how people see and perceive their way of working into making it better and more efficient then basically any transformation uh, program is going to fail and to be honest I think the statistics are clear seven out of ten fail so um, obviously with CX is customer experience what about EX and BX well, thank you. Great question, actually. Um, so from the customer experience, of course, anything, one of the things that organization want to change is how we're 
how organizations deal with customers and, and that's where customer experience comes from. If that becomes the core KPI or key performance indicator and core belief of an organization putting the customer right at the heart of it, then everything changes and digital transformation helps that. It's just another tool or another way of doing it. Um, but to explain then your question, so in my mind and, and was shared by others, you've got CX, VX, UX, UI and all of these things. And CX is customer experience. DX, by the way, is digital uh, transformation. Um, UX is user experience. UI is user interface. BX is brand experience. So if we uh, if we look at it from top to bottom, from wider scope to narrower scope, you go, in my opinion, you go from a brand experience. This is what your entire interaction with a brand is. So perfect example is Microsoft. We all know the blue screen of death of years past. In some cases, it still happens, but much less with Windows 10, agreed. Um, your experience with Microsoft as an organization is different than your experience with Excel, right? So uh, how do you now go about getting, for example, an Office 365 license? That's from a customer experience point of view, but how do you perceive the brand Microsoft? Is it innovative? Is it helping you change your life? Is it doing all kinds of things? Does it help you be more productive? Are you able to access your files and etc. everywhere? So there's an element of CX and UX, etc. So you start at the top as a brand experience, and then you uh, drill down to the customer's experience, which is if you want to attempt action A, how do you go about it from the moment you have that need in your mind or that emotion about it as well, which is very important because a big element of customer experience is empathy and it's putting ourselves in the in the shoes of our customers and feeling uh, and trying to feel how they feel when they interact with our products at each uh, touch point uh, all the way to uh, you know having delivered on the promise and, and resolving whatever the job to be done is for that customer all the way also past that to advocacy so that's customer journey if you're sure customer experience um, then you've got the user experience which is as I already mentioned is, uh, how do you use Excel is Excel really you know, helpful to do what you need to do. And then you've got even below that, the user interface. It's like, is the button on the left side more um, appropriate than having it on the right side of the screen, top or bottom, uh, bigger logo, smaller logo, more icons, less icons, more text, less text. That's more user interface. Um, and then on the last uh, X that you mentioned, and that is EX, and that's employee experience. In my point of view, and as already mentioned, employees are absolutely important. If you look at Sir Richard Branson, for example, and if you listen to what he says, and he basically is very clear about it, the success of his organization rests in the success of the people in that organization. If they are happy, if they are uh, safe, and if they are engaged, then you will have an extremely productive and successful team of people working for you whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, logistics, manufacturing, innovation, R&D, it doesn't really matter. Employees that are happy, that feel safe, that are engaged, and that have a commitment to the common values and objective of the organization are much, much better uh, employees, and the organization is much better for it. So that's a bit of a, a wrap-up of what I do and my background. No worries. Uh, did you want to just quickly finish off with uh, what really makes you tick and, and enjoy what you do? Well, I like paying my bills. <laughs> um, but in, in all honesty, I think waking up in the morning and just knowing that there is a challenge to be solved 
uh, and and knowing that I can come back home, for example, and tell my kids that I helped people, whether it's through coaching or whether it's through explaining something or whether helped an organization uh, do things in a better way, uh, that really does drive me. So uh, yes, the the hobbies that I enjoy are a bit expensive. So always a good salary and good revenue is is good, but it's it's mostly about you know the challenge of change. Fantastic. Also to fund our uh, mutual love of uh, being on two wheels. So, uh, yes. All right. So, uh, all right. Well, I guess uh, I'll talk a little bit about myself. I uh, do the, the CRM and marketing automation side, but it took a while for me to get to that point. So I started, uh, well, if we think way back when, you, you started with your, uh, uh, <laughs> your little games. <laughs> um, I kind of grew up uh, working uh, my parents uh, business, which was a, a car place, and I was you know, stripping engines and stuff. I built my th- first engine at 13, and it's got nothing to do with CRM. But I realised that what I didn't want to do, and that was uh, take over the family business. So, um, <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. And so I, I, um, I think in the last podcast I mentioned that my first job out of school, official job out of school, was um, uh, Dick Smith or, or Tandy, one and the same at the time. And, uh, you know, I'd got a taste for, you know, that sales, that relational stuff and, and being able to understand what the customer really wants and asking questions and, and um, you know, I actually got highest warranty sales in the state in the smallest, one of the smallest stores in one of the poorest neighborhoods. So, um, you know, I really appreciated the power of being able to do that sort of thing. Then I, uh, uh, I did something wild. I joined the army. I went off and, uh, you know, went all around Australia. Um, I started off in the infantry, uh, which is you know, great on your um, body in terms of fitness, um, but not great on working out your mind. Also wears out your body. So uh, in the last, well, and in doing that, I went to um, you know, East Timor, Afghanistan, uh, saw a bit of the world and uh, did a few different things, went to Malaysia as well, as more of a training trip. Uh, and then in the last year and a half, I went to, uh, I transferred to intelligence because getting a bit worn out with the, the body and, and, and the, the simplicity of the, those working around me. Um, so I decided to, to challenge myself in a different way. And, and that was quite an interesting experience. Uh, you know, intel, Army intelligence is a bit of an oxymoron, but um, it made me think in a totally different way. You know, you start to critically analyze everything, you question everything, um, and you know, some people think, oh, you know, you're James Bond and you're cool and stuff, but no, it's really just getting really good at PowerPoint and being able to present and talk about things and um, being able to address problems, gather information uh, and think about stuff in an intelligent way. So after a while, what I did was, towards the end of that, I started to do a, a degree. Uh, I started with a Bachelor of Arts and then I thought, well, no one really... Uh, appreciates a Bachelor of Arts, so I changed to a um, commerce degree and it was entrepreneurship and innovation, but that was a one that sort of was going to run out and change, so then I went to a more generic uh, Bachelor of Business uh, and my majors were uh, accounting and um, uh, management, but I still hadn't finished, oddly enough. Uh, I got out and uh, I bought a business and I ran that for four years and, um, you know, I'm doing 12-hour days and, and, you know, everything was, you know, manual and hard work and I thought, this is crap. So I 
put in some systems and things. I put a payroll system in which um, had a facial recognition scanner. People would walk in, it would scan their face. The data would automatically go to timesheets and then it would automatically go into the accounting software. And it turned a 20 amount, 20 hour a month process into a two hour a month process. And I thought, how can I do this for other businesses? This is awesome. Um, and I started doing, you know, task management systems, operation management systems, and I just sort of fell in love with it. Yeah. What What got you into that first that first role of that facial recognition system? Um, where, where did you learn about what What brought you to that? So I guess it all started with. Uh, one simple thing and it's the first thing I tell every customer and that is get a password manager it's um, it's called LastPass it's free if you pay three dollars a month you get the the premium version and you can share your passwords but I effectively found a way to automate or semi-automate um, some of the work that I did and I got a little bit addicted to it and that freed up I know it was only small but I freed up like five minutes a day and I thought well, yeah I could do something else so then I got a task management system in and then I got this facial recognition thing and and that was significant it cost me like four grand for a year but it saved me you know 18 hours a month and then it also saved me uh, because you know if someone turned up five minutes late where on the timesheet they'd write down seven and they were there at 706 you know they wouldn't get time wouldn't get paid for that time so I saved about 10 grand a year in uh, you know fudging the figures on, on the timesheets so, but it was fair both ways. If they worked overtime, they got paid for it. And, you know, they knew their leave. They, they, all their details were up to date. I didn't have to scan 20 sheets of paper in. So it freed up my life and my time and made me feel like I wasn't a slave to my business. And at the same time, it made the, my relationships better with my staff because there was no animosity of, are you ripping me off kind of thing. So anyway, Doing that, I, I, I thought, oh great, I can help other businesses with this. And I'd go in and I'd say, hey, your business is running a bit average, I can make it better. And the first thing they'd say is, no way. <laughs> so um, then I got into um, the, the CRM and marketing automation side. And I'd walk into a business and say, I can help you get more customers. And they say, come on in. So we reframed what, what it was and, and you know now I try to cause a problem and that is, too many leads and sales, and now we have to work on the operations management system. So by going in from a different angle, we can change the way that people actually um, uh, think about that. Um, and since then, you know, it kind of resonates with my gather in da uh, intelligence data about people, get them to unearth um, certain insights about what they're interested in, how they think, and that can be by what they click, um, by what they look at. And the shopping centres and all that do that to you. They track your Wi-Fi when you walk in. They see what, what shelves you're standing at. They know how to manipulate the things on the shelves to get you to purchase more, like putting kids' items at, at their eye level, like lollies and things. So they go, Mummy, Mummy, I want one of those. Um, so it's just about, you know, you, you have to have a competitive edge. And if you're not evolving, if you're not gathering data, and if you're not understanding where the customer is, how they react and what they want. You can't make the sales, you can't feed yourself and your staff and their families and you know keep the cycle going. So I guess that's really um, you know thinking a bit bigger and a bit more pragmatic about it. It's more about trying to um, discover interesting insights and analytics about people 
um, not always just about asking them, but just by observing them and their behaviours. You know, one of the most scary things, I suppose, is, um, you know, you can walk into it. There's, I think there's a makeup store in New York. You can walk into it and they'll say, they'll welcome you by name because they've tracked you on the way into the shopping centre. And then when they welcome you by name, they say, hey, Michelle, we've got your favourite shade behind the counter. Feel free to have a look around. We're ready when you are. So if that kind of brand experience is what people want, then you know, you're just giving the customer what they want. You're making it easy to buy. You're not making it hard. So, I mean, there's, there's all these things about finding the line and what stalkerish and, and, and <laughs> But um, <laughs> you, you give people the option and it's, uh, you can opt out yes or no. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we all have a free choice. No one's holding a gun to their head. What do you, what do you, so what do you hate about the industry? Uh, spammers. <laughs> um, they really do bring the rest of us down. Um, you know, when you want to have that really good customer experience and you want to reach people by email, but they only open about, you know, 20 to 30 percent of their emails because they just get bombarded with crap from, you know, foreign lands and and uh, even people who are just uh, have a list and aren't afraid to use it. Or phishing, uh, phishing opportunities, right? Or phishing scams. People just trying to get you to click on a link so that you put in your details and they can steal your identity, or or all of these other nice things that could happen. Oh, absolutely. And I think you know one of the best things a brand can do is try and bounce contacts around different elements of their business so that you're you're more than just one little smashed out email. You're you have multi faces. You know, it's like you're a person and they can walk around you. They can look at you see you and and evaluate you for who you are. So I always try to get them to go to um, my Facebook, um, go to my YouTube, go to all those other sorts of things. So I think it's been uh, pretty good here today. Um, I think uh, if uh, if anyone wants to jump on uh, the rest of our podcast and have a a bit of a listen, uh, we're going to be releasing stuff uh, pretty pretty regularly. Um, So if, uh, if that's all, if anyone else got anything they want to cover for today and I just want to say Merry Christmas and I uh, hope everybody listened to the end <laughs> um, but yeah it, it, uh, we're looking for feedback we'd love you guys to um, reach out to us if you have any other questions or would like to you know let us know how we went um, I think that's that'll, that'll be really good but otherwise Merry Christmas and Happy New Year um, absolutely I absolutely agree with that Happy Holidays and all that Merry Christmas and whatnot and, and to all the other faiths out there that celebrate around this time of the year um, I also wanted to add to what Jeremy said, which is that, um, yes, we would love your feedback, but also if you have any ideas on what you would like us to talk about, the, we are more than happy to take in uh, requests. Uh, or if you also want to be on the podcast, that's also an opportunity as well for you to consider. So uh, we've got a uh, lots of ideas on what we want to cover next. Uh, we'll be releasing, as Jeremy said and Avon said, we'll be releasing quite regularly. So please do subscribe, keep an ear out for us. Uh, We are on anchor.fm, but also on YouTube as well as the Propline podcast. So once again, thank you for uh, for listening. This is the Frontline podcast and have a great Merry Christmas. See you and goodbye. You have been listening to the Sales and Marketing Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and hope to see you again soon on the Frontline. 